Hey everyone, Lou Lombardi here, a.k.a. Lou Dini from the Lou Dini Rock and Roll Circus to tell you about our brand new sponsor, McNeely Beer. Six packs and more located at 441 McNeely Road in the South Hills. Hey Lou, what's up? Hey, Pittsburgh Cavern, what's what's going on, man? Hey, McNeely Beer, six pack and more. It's right down the street from where I grew up. I go there all the time. Oh, cool. Yeah, listen to this, man. McNeely Beer carries about 700 beer varieties in singles, six packs, or 12 packs. They offer imports, crafts, domestics, even drafts. You can grab a gourmet hot dog, mm, catch a game on the TV, create your own mix and match six pack, or just grab what you need and go. You know, I hear that mix and match six pack is really cool because um, you get 20% off yeah. when you do that, and it's a great way to try something new without investing in an entire case. Correct. You know what I mean? So, the, And the knowledgeable staff will actually help you pick out your they selections. Do. McNeely is open Sunday through Thursday, 11 a.m. to midnight. Fridays and Saturdays until 2 a.m. And even with this crazy snow we just had, spring beers are already arriving, so you want to be sure to get your seasonal selections before they're gone. Definitely. That's McNeely Beer, six packs and more, located at 441 McNeely Road in the South Hills. And you can check them out online at McNeelyBeer.com. Yeah. Hey, everybody. This is Jim Huff, and you're listening to the Lugini Rock and Roll Circus. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to yet another interview here at the Ludini Rock and Roll Circus. That's LudiniRockandRollCircus.com. Uh, you can go there to hear all the uh, different interviews that I've been doing, plus listen to our weekly um, music podcast that we put out where we feature a lot of these great artists that we get to talk to here. Uh, today I'm going to be speaking with uh, producer, songwriter, guitarist, and film uh, composer uh, Jim Huff. And we're going to get to Jim in a second. And first, I'd like to pay the light bill here and thank a couple sponsors. I'd like to thank MTS Management Group. That's mtsmanagementgroup.com. MTS Management is more than just an artist management company. It's a bona fide rock star in the music industry, specializing in full-service artist management, publicity and promotions, and social media campaigns. MTS Management is on the cutting edge of today's new music business. also like to thank... Our longtime sponsor, our original sponsor, Positively Pittsburgh Live Magazine, TPLMag.com for short. And <clears throat> this is a, you know, Pittsburgh's first internet radio, TV network, online community magazine, and business directory. So you definitely want to check that out. It's a great place to find all kinds of services and listen to a lot of great podcasts like this one. <laughs> and as I said, on the phone today, we've got Jim Huff. Uh, Jim is a Canadian-born multi-platinum multi-platinum producer, songwriter, uh, guitarist, and former A&M recording artist who makes Los Angeles his home these days. Uh, Jim's many years of experience both as a major label recording artist and songwriter moving into production developing uh, talent with labels, publishers, and management companies, as well as the wide variety of major label artists and acts he's produced and co-written, including his worked with people like Joe Bonamassa and Holly Brook, a.k.a. Skylar Gray. And this has all garnered, garnered him numerous awards and established him as a creative force in today's music industry. His knack for understanding the creative process in developing both songs and a sound for established and emerging artists keeps him working across numerous genres of music from rock to pop, blues and country, from L.A. to Nashville, Canada to Europe. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Ludini Rock and Roll Circus, Mr. Jim Huff. Hey, Jim, how are you, buddy? Hey, Lou, how you doing? Really good, my man. Um, uh, you are you have a connection with uh, one of our favorite artists, 
uh, that we've that she actually kind of made our year your our year end roundup here a couple of months ago. Uh, Donica Knight, and the, you you worked with Donica on uh, her uh, upcoming EP and the, and her single Love Ain't a Prize. Can you talk a little bit about working with Donica and what that entailed? Yeah, that was that was great. I met uh, Donica about three years ago. She sort of randomly sent me an email and told me who she was and this and that and the other, and I heard some stuff she was doing. And we talked. We, we, she came here for a weekend. We started working on a song. Yeah, this was about three years ago. And um, out of the blue, about a, she lives in Alabama, of course. About a year and a half ago, she called me, and she's like, Huff, I want to make this record. I'm ready to make it. And uh, so she came to California. Um, she was kind of starting from scratch song-wise. She was looking to do something a little different than, you know, she had been really uh, more of a, a hardcore country artist, and she had expressed to me she wanted to do something a little more rock and roll, a little more southern, more southern rock, you know. It was like, uh, let's make a record like Leonard Skinner meets Bonnie Raitt meets whoever, you know. Okay. And and so Donica came here, and we spent the first three months really just writing. I took her around to all different co-writers I worked with. We wrote a bunch of songs on our own and sort of fine-tuned um, what what this record and what it was that she really wanted to be. You know, when she first got here, I thought I was making a full-on hardcore country record, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. And and in that first week she was here, she just kept drilling it into my head. She goes, it's got to be more rock and roll than that. And, <laughs> of course, which is home, which is home piece for me. And um, so it came together real nice. I mean, Donica and I have now, it's a year and a half later, and uh, we spent, like I said, we did good three months of pre-production and writing, probably got through about 20 songs and narrowed it down to the six or seven that we were going to cut for the EP. Um, we tracked the bed tracks up at a friend of mine's place up in Beechwood Canyon, who has a great studio. That's where we cut bass and drums. And uh, pretty much all the other instrumentation on the record we did at my studio, at my house, and went back to... Uh, the place in Beechwood to cut Donica's lead vocals and to mix. And uh, it was it was a great experience. I mean, I think Donica's great. I think she's a rock star, and we had a lot of fun working together. And um, it was just, overall, it was a really enjoyable uh, record to work on. And, of course, you know, we got her in, we got the video done. Uh, I was able to help her on a business level. I was able to help her put together distribution and, you know, hooked her up with a, a promotion guy, Michael Stover, who I'm sure you know. Yep. Um, and sort of just gave her a vehicle to kind of get off the ground a little bit. And uh, she's in the middle of the video for the second single, uh, which is going to be coming out probably around the end of end of February. And we're going to launch the EP this year. There's, there's some great stuff going on with her. Great stuff. We played a few live shows together here, which has been fun. So yeah, it's cool. So so you so you do get out of the studio once in a while to actually gig, right? Well, you know <laughs> that, that that started as my manager's idea 
and I he he originally was like, "Come on, Jimmy, you got some great songs that you sing. You're a songwriter. Nobody's expecting you to be an amazing singer. You know, you're okay. you're a really great songwriter." And, and in Los Angeles, fortunately, there's different venues that it's quite acceptable to go out as a songwriter. You know, there's a place a place called Hotel Cafe here, Room 5, Molly Malone's, where it's acceptable to go out and do those um, kinds of things. So I started doing it, and I did a couple little acoustic things, and eventually it evolved into me doing what I call my Jim Huff and Friends show. Okay. And I go out probably four times a year to do them, usually around the holidays, you know, the New Year's party, the Christmas party, the Easter party, whatever. Mm-hmm. And um, what happens is it's they're really fun, and I end up with, say, three or four of these different acts that I work with that all sort of know each other but never play together, and we put it all together so that everybody's each other's backup band. Um, other than the bass player and the drummer, normally it's Randy Cook, who, of course, plays with Dave Stewart and did Ringo's tour, um, Darwin Johnson on bass, who's out with Adam Lambert right now, but he also plays with Colby. Both those guys played on Donica's record. They came in to play on Donica Knight's record for me. Um, and different acts. So all of a sudden, you know, I've got a great little, almost like the last waltz kind of band. Where, <laughs> well, it's kind of one, you know, if I had to put it in perspective, it's kind of one of those shows where I'll open it up and do, one or two songs of mine that I'm playing and singing, and then we'll feature, say, a Donica Knight song, and Donica set get up and sing. But once she gets up, she'll stay there and sing background vocals in, say, Jackie Compa's songs. And it's, it's kind of fun. We usually end up with two or three girls and a three- or four-piece band, keyboard player. And uh, everybody gets a chance to do two or three songs, and it turns into a really fun night. Uh, yeah, that's that's really cool when you can get different artists like that don't normally work together, and you can kind of get that chemistry going. Um, and uh, well, it, a, it seems like it's working for you. Well, it's a good showcase for them, too, because, you know, a lot of business people that know me will come out just to see who I'm working with these mm-hmm. days, and it's not really putting the artist on the spot of a quote-unquote showcase. Yeah, where, you know, they're just doing a couple of songs and having some fun and being part of the band, but they get to meet, you know, generally there's a lot of a uh, lot of music, mostly at my shows, is really music business people. It's not like they're gym hop fans, but they're friends, booking agents, managers, film and TV people, who you know, people that I've worked with over the years just come out and it's kind of like, hey, how you doing, Huff? And, and uh Let's you know what's going on, and and it's kind of more of a a little bit of a party thing. But you actually, we were going to get this a little bit later, but since you brought it up, let's get into it. But you actually are working on you actually are putting out a record of your own stuff that's going to come out in 2016, correct? I I really am. <laughs> <laughs> Great. I, well, I tell really, us about that really a little bit. What's that about? I keep, I keep I keep telling myself that. You know, honestly, honestly, I cut a bunch of bed tracks about two years ago, and 
you know, I'm always writing. I'm always coming up with stuff. And so just I've been – it's something that because I'm usually working and I don't have time to do my own solo stuff, um, it's something that I've been chipping away at. And over the holidays, I kind of made up my mind just before Christmas. I, I sort of sat down for a couple of days and went through everything that I have. And I mean, some of these songs, I I, I forgot I even had keyboards on. I got background books. I got like tons of stuff done on these songs. And I'm like, okay, this is this is the year that I can actually get some of these out, yeah. get them finished. And I'm, at, I'm actually, you know, I'm pretty excited about it. I think it's gonna. It's really fun. It, you know, for me, it's a. I have these. I've had this little sort of group of songs that are never usually right for another artist. Um, but they're songs that I've written with different people, mm-hmm. and and I've always loved them. And then you know, there's I have some of these songs. I just call them my doc songs. You know, those songs that you write on the on a summer's day down at this sitting by the water on the dock with nobody around. Yeah. And, and so, yeah, I, I'm, I'm really excited about the tracks are sounding great. I just finished doing two monitor mixes yesterday and I'm sitting in my studio right now and I just pulled up a third song today and going to get a little monitor mix of that going and, you know, going to start figuring, figuring out how I want to do it and, I'll probably put one song out, I would say, within the next five or six weeks. And um, I've got a nice little window right now to be able to do it. So I figured I might as well just dive in and get it done. <laughs> well, you were, I mean, you're so busy working with so many other people that, you know, you, it's understandable. You know, it's your own project uh, very often it makes sense why that would take a back seat. Now, how, now, you, how do you approach that? I mean, you're right. You've written with people like Joe Bonamassa, and you know you've worked with Donica and different people like that. And now, when you sit down and you got to do your, what's the difference? Can you kind of compare, compare and contrast, kind of how you work with, say, just something you're doing for yourself versus something you're doing with somebody like Joe Bonamassa or Donica Knight? Well, Donica was a t- different situation. With Donica, she really hadn't. Uh, you know, the, when we started Donica's record, the one thing that she had been frustrated about was that other producers and people that she had worked with never gave her a chance to write. And she had originally contacted me through, you know, the, the true story is, as far as her mom and her told me, and, you know, it seems to be fact at this point, was that Donica, I guess, when she was looking to who she wanted to work with, went through, ended up with access to my old publishing catalog um, and had been through a thousand songs of all different kinds of producers, writers, blah, blah, blah. And um, she, she, out of her top ten songs, four of them I had written or co-written. Okay. And, she, and that was the first email that I got. From mm. her, you know, I thought she was a stalker at first, but so, you know, with Donica, we really had to start from scratch. I had to figure out what she wanted to sound like. I had to sort of really, I wouldn't say teach her how to write, but she had lots of natural talent that had never been, nobody had ever figured out how to bring out of her or allowed that to come out. 
Right. So, so whereas working with somebody like Bonamaka, I mean, when I worked with him, he had already had three records. He was what he was. Um, uh, with Joe, I think we only ever spent maybe four afternoons together writing. Um, and maybe, maybe, maybe up to six or eight days, um, little two, three hour sessions. Cause he was mm-hmm. busy. I was busy. And with somebody like Joe, you know what you're writing. You know exactly what his style is. You know exactly where you're going with the song, et cetera. With Donica, it was just a vision that she portrayed, and I helped her bring that vision to reality. So there was a lot more exploring with somebody like a Donica, who's a new artist, who's looking for a direction, looking for songs, all those kinds of things. That's that's probably the biggest difference between working with an established artist and somebody who's up and coming and wants to present themselves in a in a new revised bigger and better way. Does that make sense? Yeah, right, right. So what is more um what do you find uh more uh satisfying? Uh helping somebody like Donica sort of find herself or working with somebody established like Joe and like kind of just having that experience and working with, you know, somebody who's like already kind of like really, you know, you know, uh, settled in in this like sort of role as this amazing musician that that everybody knows. You know what? They're they're it's if you if you're working on good stuff and you've got good good tools to work with. In Donica's case, she's a great singer. She's a really fun. You know, it's kind of if I I. You know, I'm not a young guy. I kind of look at it, if I'm having fun and they're having fun and we're getting something that we're both liking and it's working, then it's really all the same. There's really no difference between it. You know, right. you know what I'm saying? I, okay. I, don't judge, I don't judge whether it's somebody who's sold 18 billion records or somebody who's just starting out. Usually within a couple hours of getting together with that person, professionally you can both figure out huh is this working is this something i want to do like is it are you clicking musically you know yeah. especially on writing especially on the writing end i mean producing somebody is a no brainer you know when i when when i produce bands that they already are a live band it's a four piece band it's a five piece band you can walk down to a club you can see them you can hear them you know what it's supposed to be and you still you know help them fine-tune the record and really produce it and come up with, you know, some musical parts, make sure they get the right sound, yeah. make sure you they're in the, put them in the right environment to, to make sure they're comfortable recording, all those kinds of things just as a producer. Um, uh, but I, it really doesn't matter to me at this point if they're, if they're really good and I like them and, and we find creatively things are working together, then... It's always kind of the same thing. Well, Jim, you've done a lot of stuff. Um, uh, you were, you actually were uh, an artist, toward signed artist. Can you take us back a little bit and kind of give us a little bit of your your history? I mean, you've done so much stuff. I mean, you have <laughs> you have one of the most extensive resumes I think of anybody I've had the pleasure of talking to. So let's let's give us give the folks a sort of whirlwind tour. Oh, geez. 
<laughs> okay. Can you do that? <laughs> I, you know what? I can, I, I'll, I'll try and be as brief as possible and give you the uh, give you the Jim Huff uh, story. When I was in high school, uh, there was a band in Canada called Fable Manor at the time who were just a little bit older than me. They were like 18. And I ended up, I forget exactly what happened to the original guitar player, but they were kind of established as like a, as like a boy band. If you can believe that. Okay. I'm not. I'm not even embarrassed to say it because I think I was 16 years old at the time. So you were a boy yourself. They, <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, well, I was a kid, you know. They were like real, re- really, really pop. I didn't really love their music all that much or anything. You know, it wasn't really. You know, I was into Johnny Winters and Humble Pie and Grand Funk, and these guys were like the Antichrist compared to those bands, you know. <laughs> okay. Um. But nonetheless, they had a big following, and they had a great manager, who's the guy I mentioned to you before we went on uh, on the interview, who uh, hooked me up with Leslie West for that guitar thing. Um, but I played with them for a while and got some great exposure, sort of doing bigger shows, not huge, but, you know, for a boy band thing, they were doing a lot of high schools and colleges and stuff, mostly high schools and, and venues like that. So cut to uh cut to that was kind of my initial foray of into the real world of the music business okay. when I was quite young. When I was quite young and even though I had my own high school band and we played all the little bar circuit and stuff. Um so cut to uh when I was nineteen. I don't know if you ever heard of a Canadian band called Teenage Head. But they were Teenage Head. Is that what you said? Yeah. Yes. Okay. I don't know if you've ever heard of them, but they were they were one of my idols as I was going through high school, and they were a huge Canadian band, sort of the equivalent of um, they were a real punk band, so, you know, sort of like the, the Canadian version of the Ramones. Okay. And um, they actually ended up touring with the Ramones. Um, and they had just, you know, there's a, a venue there called Ontario Place, which holds 12,000 people. There had been a huge riot because not enough people could get into the venue. And, like, they had a great, they were huge, huge. And unfortunately for them, fortunately for me, um, they got in a bad tour back, uh, bus accident. Their guitar player uh, ended up with a broken back. Ooh. And... And they needed a uh, guitar player to fill in um, uh, while he was getting better. And as luck would have it, a friend of mine uh, from New York at that time who was running Led Zeppelin's label, funny enough, uh, hooked me up with their manager. And, you know, they didn't know Jim Huff. Like, they were going for some, I forget the other real name guitar players they were going after. But... I was like, I can do this. I love this band. This is so up my alley. And, you know, when you're 19, nothing can stop you. Yeah. So I eventually found a way to get an addition, and I got hired for this gig. Well, three days later, I'm flying around in a private plane. I'm still living at my mom's house. This limousine's <laughs> picking me up. Great. I'm, I'm, you know, making a ton of money as a, as a kid, and, and this was crazy, crazy rock and roll shit. 
with motorcycle gang guys as bodyguards <laughs> and the whole the whole nine yards. So that was my next sort of six months to a year of of real, real cool fun stuff and that I was just guitar playing and and to cut to, you know, the the deal with A and M records and how that happened, myself and uh, a singer had hooked up while I was playing with Teenage Head, actually, and started writing songs, and we put a band together, and we were touring around um, uh, Ontario and playing, you know, six nights a week, making 50 bucks a week, eating rice, which was a long way from a private plane, and you know. <laughs> yeah. But still, you know, it didn't matter to me. And uh, it was fun, and, and, and it was my own band. It was kind of like the first time I sort of had my own band. Yeah. And and um, we made a record with a producer in Toronto, Paul Gross. Uh, and the first, our first record was an independent record. It was did really well received at all the big FM radio stations. You know, that was back in the day when FM radio would still play five songs off an album. Yeah. And. So we got pretty lucky. We ended up opening up for Jethro Tall at Maple Leaf Gardens, and we got some good shows and stuff like that. Um, when we were about halfway through making our second record, uh, I don't know if you remember a band called Triumph. Remember those guys? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> of course. <laughs> the the epitome of Canadian corporate rock. Um, <laughs> yeah. Okay. Anyways, uh this is also interconnected now that I'm talking about it. Brian and I, my partner, were about halfway through making our second record. Uh, the guy who had been Teenage Head's road manager heard a couple of the songs from the new record. He also was Triumph's road manager and ran their studio for them. And I guess what happened was Gil Moore and Rick Emmett heard this one song that Brian and I wrote, and they wanted to record it for a record they had called The Sport of Kings. And I really didn't like Triumph. They weren't my kind of band at all. Like I said, to me, they were kind of, you know, they, every record they made was selling millions of copies right. at the time. Right. Um, you know, I think Van Halen was opening for them at that point in time. They were big, big stuff. Anyways, uh, so we got convinced to, to let this song go and instead of putting it on our second record to let Triumph record it and you know with a lot of fighting because I was like no way I don't want those guys doing this song they're going to destroy it <laughs> um, <laughs> and so you know but when you're 22, 23 years old you're pretty rebellious and pretty protective yeah. about stuff like that and especially when the master had already been recorded, it's like mixed, it's ready to go for our second record. And uh, so we got convinced to, okay, this will be, everybody was like, this will be great for your career. Just do it. Just do it. So we let it go. And um, sure enough, I, you know, they destroyed the song. Um, <laughs> but also sure enough, it ended up selling a couple of million copies. And... Three months after that song came out, we got a call from A&M Records, publishing division. And they were like, hey, are you the Jim Hop and Brian Malone that wrote What Ruled My Heart on the Triumph record? Well, who are you guys? What do you do? I saw you toured last year and you did some shows with 
you know, some big shows as your own independent band and stuff like that. But that song and giving it to Triumph uh, and letting them record it sort of opened up the label, the label to us. Yeah. Back then, you were you weren't making a real record without a record company. Right. So, so it was through a, a John Redmond, who was the head of publishing at Rondor Music, which was the publishing division of A and M Records. Was like, let me hear what else you guys got. Let's, you know. Of course, at that point, they know that that you've got income coming in because you've got a song that's generating money. Right. Um, So, you know, working out something on a publishing level isn't such a bad idea because then you can get your money as an advance. And anyways, long story short, that's how we, six months later, we got offered a deal by A&M Records, you know, with a lot of work in between to get to that point, lots of demos. We probably demoed 20 or 30 songs um, in between that point. And, and, you know, we had a champion inside the label who really wanted to see us get signed. And uh, so six months later, we signed a deal with A&M. Literally a week after signing the deal with A&M, we were living in Miami in a really nice five-bedroom home in Coconut Grove, uh, making our first real record at Criteria Studios with a producer named Tom Allen, who at that point had produced every Judas Priest record ever made, had produced a Lover Boy record. You know, he's a, he's a big old Brit. And uh, we had a great time, you know, living down what, in Miami. What was, what, was the, what was the name of your band at that time, Jim? That was a band called The Works. The Works. Yep. And we had a couple of big singles off that rep. What was the first? I think there was a song called Dancing on a Wing that was the first single. You know, it was a late 80s hair band, dude. Uh-huh. It was one of those. Um, and so we had, but we had three top 10 singles at Canadian radio with them. And, of course, much music and the whole MTV thing was just breaking. Um, yeah. So, you know, so we did, we had a couple of cool videos. And, uh you know, that's and next thing you knew, we were on the road for two or three years making records and touring and doing videos and doing what major label bands did at that time, you know? How did, how, did, how did you... Go ahead. I was going to ask you how you got into... In, from there, how you got into producing and did that sort of become... Because that's really kind of like your main business now. You're a little, little bit more behind the scenes, correct? Absolutely correct, yes. Yeah, okay. um, well... Honestly, by the time everything wound down and we were out of our deal with A&M, mm-hmm. I was 32 years old. And I'd pretty much been on the road full time from the time I was 17, 18, 19. Yeah. You know, because of that teenage head opportunity, I didn't end up going to college. Um, and... I was married, I owned my own house in Toronto, and it was kind of at that same era where there was uh, equipment available other than, you know, an eight-track Fostex that you could start (laughs) doing real stuff at your house. Now, see, there aren't a lot of people that are going to get the eight-track Fostex Fostex reference, but I did, so thank you. (laughs) (laughs) You know what I'm talking about. I know. I'm exactly what you're saying. Go ahead. Okay, okay, or a 16-track Foscat or a Tascam recorder, whatever. Right, right. But uh, honestly, I was just a little burned out, and, and I really didn't know what I was going to do with myself. 
you know, we were out of our deal with A&M, um, uh, and I was, you know, still writing. I, I really didn't know what I was going to do. And about three months after we were out of our deal with A&M Records, the head of A&R for A&M Records called me and asked me if I'd be introducing, inter, uh, interested in producing a band they had just signed. You know, I to sort of cut to how I got to that point because I was the lucky guy who had a house and who had, you know, enough money to have a small recording setup, cut to gotcha. the 8-track box And um, I had sort of, I, I was the one, all the demos that we did that got us signed to A&M Records, all the demos that we did for Rondor Music, all those things I had, you know, had recorded them without realizing that I was learning how to be a producer engineer. Uh, God. You know what I'm saying? I didn't mm-hmm. really realize at the time that I was learning what I was learning. But uh, the head of A&R knew that I was the one who had, generated all the recordings and sort of overseen even the 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 records that we had producers on that we did for A&M they knew that I was sort of the lead guy in working with the producer talking about the sounds talking about the songs all right. those kinds of things and so I got lucky and I got hired by um A&M to produce a record for uh this band that they had signed and sort of one thing led to the other after that, and all of a sudden, you know, people started calling me a, a producer-songwriter instead of a <laughs> songwriter-guitar player. Um, we are uh, we are just we're, – we're, we're sort of starting to run a little low on time here, Jim. Before – but I wanted to go – I wanted to ask you about one more thing because, I mean, you have so much going on, and maybe we'll do, uh, we'll do another interview at some point um, – but you see, I, you worked as a, in film and television, and could you talk? Could tell, give us a little rundown of uh, of some of the uh, productions you've worked on for for uh, film and TV. Some 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 that people might know about. Yeah, uh, one of my favorite things that I did on for film and TV was a film that Goldie Hawn produced called The Matthew Shepard Story, and. Uh, That was really composing work. I had been offered it by a music supervisor who said, you know, they were looking for a real kind of Dan Lanois, rootsy, acoustic, dark, Mm -hmm. earthy thing. And that was really the first thing that I had done for film and TV. It was was a whole new experience where they sent me the movie with no music and just, um, just time code with specific instructions about what time slots to fill. And as fate would have it, uh, uh, literally within a month of my moving to Los Angeles, it started airing on NBC, which timing couldn't have been better. Because, you know, in the music business, it's always nice to have something current. Yeah. Um, And also at the same time, there was another movie that I did called Under Heavy Fire that I had worked with the director. It was a film about Vietnam. And... um, developed a closing credit track for him. So, you know, film and TV stuff happens different every time. Of course, there was this uh, NBC series called The Black Donnellys 
that I wrote and produced the main trailer track for. Um, uh, it was a song called Lost, um, which was a really nice dollar value license. Um, for some reason, I have luck with NBC. I don't know why. <laughs> um, so I, I don't know if you're asking, you know, if you're asking about the process, is that what you're asking? Or just well, a little just, bit of- well, I'll tell you what, um, we will, let's, let's talk about the process in our bonus material. How's that sound? Because we're sort of, we're sort of running low on time here. Before we, uh, before we wrap up, is there anything that you'd like to tell the kids at home about that you're working on that they need to know about? Anything well, upcoming? I think the, the main thing that I'm really excited right about right at this very moment is the new Donica Knight record that's coming out this year. I think Donica's an amazing performer. She's a, she's a gem of a person to work with. I think the EP is really, really, it's going to be a good, fun record. You know, I don't know what, what songs you've heard, but we've got horns and sound. You know, we've got a little Muscle Shoals vibe going uh-huh. on in a couple of songs and I think it's I think it's one of those it seems to be just a really fun record that I'm working on you know other than my solo thing and I had a great time working with it and I'm really excited you know it was number one on debuted at number one on iTunes uh, the first single did when it came out so that's a good start but uh, in, all in the name of self-promotion you know <laughs> uh, I, I, I think it's a it's I think that's the record to that uh, for me right now. I'm excited about people hearing the whole record. Well, uh, it, it it is very cool. We have we have we have played uh, Love Ain't a Prize a couple of times, and uh, like I said, we did get to talk uh, to Donica too. So that's awesome that yep. you guys are working together and um, to, that you're able to really kind of like you know help her develop in, in that way. Um, you're oh, we just, play we just wrote that. Another couple. We just wrote it. Donica and I just wrote another couple of really cool songs too. Cool. You, you have to have somebody with you like that. You know what I mean? Like if you're an artist, you've got to have somebody to kind of come in and like have to kind of organize it and everything like that. And you definitely have the experience and the chops to do that. Um, if people uh, want to catch up with you, you do have your own website, right? Yeah, I do. It's jimhuffsmusic.com, and there's a few tracks in there. It's it was a multi-platinum single for me by an artist on Sony named Edwin. Um, uh, there's, you know, some basic information there. Uh, I'm also really excited about this new distribution deal that I was able to put together um, for, you know, sort of artists and clients that I can get their material out, um, you know, worldwide in 100 countries. I did a distribution, digital distribution deal um, with a company, which is also a whole other nice, New venue. I'm able to launch rec- launch artists as Vivo artists, and um, if their videos are, are of a certain caliber, with the potential to launch them as you know a CMT or a VH1 or an MTV artist. So that's my other little side business thing that I'm having some fun with. Um, are you still are are you taking uh, new uh, clients to work with, or are you filled up? No, of course I'm always looking for new clients. You know, I love working. This is how I make my living. You know. (laughs) So the the folks can do that at your website, then they can contact you through your website to to get information about information about working with you. Absolutely, they can just. There's a contact thing there. They can fire me off an email. I'll get it, and you know, it always helps if they send a little bit of information or a 
a track or two so I can see what they're doing or at least hear what they're doing. But, yeah, of course, I'm, you know, if, if you weren't always open to working with new talent, you'd probably get dried up pretty quickly. And that, for me, is part of the thrill anyways, is the change-up, you know? Yeah. Maybe after working on Donica's record, other than my own thing, maybe I'm going to work with a metal band. <laughs> cool. All right, everyone, you've been, uh, we've been with uh, Jim Huff today. Again, that is jimhuffmusic.com. And uh, we have talked a lot about Donica Knight as well because, uh, you know, we've, uh, uh, Jim just did a great project with her and they're they're still working together. And uh, you can catch up with that at our website, uh, ludinirockandrollcircus.com. Jim, thanks so much. Hang on for a second after we do our business here and we'll we'll cut a little bonus uh, for, for the kids. Sure. All right. Uh, guys, you've been listening to the Ludini Rock and Roll Circus. That's LudiniRockandRollCircus.com. Uh, thanks, our, thanks again to our sponsors, Positively Pittsburgh Live Magazine. That's PPLMag.com. And MTS Management Group, MTSManagementGroup.com. Guys, uh, thank you guys so much for listening. Once again, uh, please uh, check out Jim's site, especially if you're a musician. Uh, there's, uh, he has uh, done so much, and he works in so many uh, different aspects of the business that if you're looking to do something, he's definitely somebody you want to talk to. And again, that is jimhuffmusic.com. Guys, thanks so much for listening, and we'll catch you next time on the Ludini Rock and Roll Circus.